Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Hi, my name is Blake Ross. I'm the editor-in-chief of Playbill. Thanks for coming. Um, and thanks to everyone who's listening on the podcast. Um, I'm really excited to be here today to talk about what is probably one of the greatest underdog stories that Broadway has had over the past 10 years. Um, it is about A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, uh, what started out as sort of a sleepy, uh, modest regional production out in San Diego has now turned into one of the hottest tickets to get uh, on Broadway. And of course it won the Tony Award. It won four Tony Awards, but it ended up winning the big Gonsa McGill, as my mother would say, the Tony Award for Best Musical. So we're going to play a little bit uh, of the performance here for you guys. You can see a little bit of the musical. And then three people who are very integral to making that musical work every single eight times a week uh, are going to come up and join us for a little chat. So take a watch. Okay, so uh, we're going to bring out um, some of the cast members. So in no particular order, I'll have Bryce Pinkham come up. He is a Tony nominee for his role of Monty Navarro. He kills everybody. Lisa O'Hare, she's Sibella. She seduces young Monty here. And then pro probably one of the, Greg Jackson over here, who is a cover for the lead role of all the Dice With family members. Um, and he has a very interesting story. I should just start with you since I'm going off on that tangent. So Greg is actually making his Broadway debut tonight. Um, tomorrow night. Tomorrow, actually. Oh, tomorrow, tomorrow night, yeah, excuse tomorrow me, tomorrow night. Yeah. Um, and he is covering, <laughs> he has the Herculean task of covering for Jefferson Mays who plays eight different members of one family. It's an exhausting, crazy role. Tell us how you sort of fell into it. Well, um, I mean, I just auditioned, and um, I, I had actually covered... Uh, there's a show called 39 Steps, which was... Um, had I had covered all the men in that show, and they were all English characters, and so I think that's what got me into the mix to come in for this, and I was lucky enough to, to get it. So I've been, been training, and tomorrow's the night. That, uh, for those um, who aren't uh, familiar with the nomenclature... Tell us exactly what a standby, because that's, tell us exactly what that well, means. Well, I actually just learned this because I wasn't aware what the difference was, but an understudy is generally someone who's a member of the ensemble who is prepared to step in for someone else if they should get sick or, or be called away. Um, a standby is generally someone who is only hired to cover a particular role or roles and is not generally performing during that. Um, 
but is just waiting to go on for those people and is not it's, that's right isn't it yeah. yeah so you actually go to the theater like take us through a night mm -hmm. when yeah, Jefferson I, is I, here I, I show up at half hour like with all the other actors and um, uh, just I just wait until Jefferson makes his last entrance and then I go home <laughs> so he's go so you two uh, tell us a little bit about going back just tell us a little bit about what the show is for those who haven't seen it yet, um, and then talk about the critical relationship between Monty and we'll just call you Dice Squiths. Sounds good. Well, um, as, as was mentioned, our show is called A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. And uh, I play the gentleman who uh, begins the show with uh, a memoir, which becomes this guide that he uh, is giving to the audience. And uh, my character's name is Monty Navarro. And at the very beginning of the show, he learns that he is a distant heir to a great title and an incredible fortune. Uh, and that there are only eight relatives uh, that stand in the way of him inheriting that fortune. Um, and so he sort of begins this quest uh, uh, somewhat um, accidentally, really, to uh, remove all eight of those relatives, all played by one actor, um, and they are the Dicequith family. Uh, and in the middle of the, all that, he is, finds himself al also caught in a love triangle between uh, a woman who he has grown up with, um, who's been his soulmate for, for many a year, uh, Sabella, who um, informs him early on that she cannot marry him because uh, she needs someone higher up on the social, uh, social scale. And, uh, and he meets another woman who is uh, uh, the perfect wife but knows nothing of his past, thinks he is, you know, um, from a high class. And so he's caught between those two, which turns into some delicious uh, scenes between the three of them. Um, I think that's a pretty good place to start. And when you guys interact on stage, which you'll be doing for the first time tomorrow night, you and you're doing quick changes. I mean, you're you just like have a, have a crazy Insane. day, and not to yes. make you scared for tomorrow. No, no, but no. It's, it's pretty uh, crazy what he does. So how how like are you looking forward to not having Jefferson there and like starting something new? It's I mean, how is that going to work? It's uh, yeah, it, no, not I'm not not looking forward to having Jefferson there. He's obviously. Um, incredible and, and and what he's done for this show is is uh without question part of what has gotten it to where to where we are now but we were just saying backstage it's also exciting when um somebody new gets a chance to 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 come on stage with us it, it imbues us with new energy it'll be a different type of show for me because i'll be responding to what greg is is choosing to do in the role and that's exciting for me c purely because it's different um but you're right, uh, uh, that, that track is a lot of hustle. It's a lot of quick changes backstage. You know, he'll, he'll disappear as one character and he'll come back five seconds later as another. You know, and there's a whole pit crew backstage that are zipping yeah, him out of his costume and zipping him into a new one and throwing a mustache and sideburns on him and a wig and pushing him back out on stage. Yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely a pit crew. And, and some, of the, some of the changes are timed down to, I think one of them is 21 seconds yeah, is the amount fast. of time we have. Yeah. To, yeah. Um, so in my intro, I mentioned that this is one of the greatest underdog stories of Broadway. Um, Lisa, you've been with the cast since the beginning at the yes. Old Globe, right? Yes, yeah. So tell me what it's been like 
because you're making your Broadway debut yes. and you have a pretty healthy resume from the West End. She's British. You'll Hello. find out very soon. <laughs> um, so tell me what, it was, what it's been like over the past year or so taking this Yeah, it's show. it's been remarkable um, to be involved in something from the ground up, I guess. Um, it's been three years for me. I started uh, doing the workshop in Hartford, uh, which was very much, you know, book in hand, uh, music stands, just sort of standing there, reading the script, a tiny bit of staging, uh, Jefferson being his remarkable self and running around with just various hats that he would put on. Um, and uh, just sort of discovering what this show was, really. Uh, and interestingly, um, some of the things that came out of that workshop three years ago in Hartford are things that have uh, stayed to this day. And um, uh, for example, when he meets um, the priest, <laughs> Ezekiel, thank you. It's been three years, I still don't know the characters' names, that's good. Uh, when he meets Lord Ezekiel, um, they go up a, a tower and uh, in the workshop, of course, we had no sets or costumes or anything, so Jefferson created this sort of illusion of going up this spiral staircase. And it was so remarkable and so hilarious that um, it stayed. And, and instead of building a set around, uh, you know, we, they could have done many things to, to sort of create this, but they decided to just keep the simplicity of what Jefferson had created. And it's, it's wonderful to be part of something from, from the workshop uh, through to the Broadway production, just because um, you see how it grows and you see new cast members come come in and do different things and uh, it's just wonderful how it's grown, the piece has grown and like the layers and um, working with new people. You know, Bryce and I met on the Broadway production and just getting to know these characters again and you know, it's just been wonderful. It's really been kind of such a blessing, yeah. So when you started three years ago and it was, you know, a, a relatively new songwriting duo mm -hmm. um they've never had a show on broadway before darko your uh director mm -hmm. had never worked on broadway before right um what did you ever think that you would be in now what is the like one of the biggest hits on broadway um you know i had my own uh idea of what I, you know, I, I mean, I believed in it from the minute I read it. I had just got to the States and I was offered a 42nd Street, 42nd Street um, in London. And I didn't know what to do because I read the script and I absolutely adored it. And I, I, as far as I was aware, nothing has been done that's even remotely similar to it. And I just wanted my hands on it so badly. And I didn't know what to do, whether to go back to London and do the 42nd Street or to stay and do this workshop. And um, I decided to stay because I just, I knew that it had a, a future or I thought it did. And you never know as an actor. I mean, you kind of, you just, you have to go with your gut. And if you, if you read a piece and you love it and you're right for it, then you have to kind of just follow your gut. And I just, I knew that it was brilliant and I knew that I thought it deserved a future. And so I just sort of went with that. And, uh, but the fact that it, it did is remarkable because like you say, you know, all, everything has to be in line. I have learned now um, for a show to go all the way to Broadway. It's no small feat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And especially to succeed commercially because um, I was actually away this weekend with a bunch of industry people and we were talking about how crazy it's been for you guys in terms of just speaking commercially, not artistically, because out of the gate it got some amazing reviews, um, even when it was in San Diego and then in Hartford and then on Broadway, it got some really great reviews. 
But the box office didn't start out strong. And I don't think I've ever seen a box office turnaround like the one, I mean, you, from the time in April, late April, when the Tony nominations were announced, it started, sort of started creeping up. And then now you guys have doubled, like o over double what you guys were making when you first premiered, uh, which is extraordinary. So Bryce, do you wanna just talk a little bit about, cause you've been on Broadway, this is your third time on Broadway, um, and you've been part of a big commercial production with Ghost. Um, and then you also were a part of Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, which ha also had sort of similar kind of humble roots, if you will. Underdog so. status, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the uh, part of the reason we're, we're, we're still around is because we have a really smart producing team and they knew that, that the odds were stacked against us. We have a title that's hard to remember. There's no um, movie stars in our cast, and that's nothing against the movie stars who are on Broadway. That's just, um, uh, from speaking from a business perspective, that's one way that producers can sell tickets. Um, but, uh, you know, we had producers that believed in our show, that believed that if they could get us through, um, you know, some lean months, Broadway has, you know, traditionally has some lean months around January, February, March, until um, the... Uh, uh, Tourism starts to pick back up, so um, they 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 knew and believed strongly that if they we could um, make it, uh, we receive the reviews that we did and make sort of turn that corner that we had a good chance to um, to have a renewed interest in our show around uh, award season. I don't think anyone thought it would turn out the way it did, um, but it it also just it's that's the way that the Tony Awards work when they work the best, I think, is when they allow a greater audience to, to know, here's a great show you should probably come see. And now everybody wants to come see it. And, and it's great for us because we feel like we're, we're making up for lost time and getting to share the show that we love and we know ha has been good since we started working on it um, with as many people as possible. Speaking of, a ton of Tonys, you were nominated for a Tony Award for yeah. Best Actor in a Musical. Um, what was that like? Tell us, just take us through like the morning of waking up super early and just like how did it, how did you sure. find out? Yeah, well, well for those who don't know, the, the, the Tony Award announcements for some ungodly reason happen on a Monday, which is the day off from, from performing and they happen at like 8.30 in the morning. Which I still don't. I still don't understand why. But um, I was actually uh, visiting my girlfriend in D.C. She was doing a show there, and so I was in our our nation's capital, and and we had talked about, you know, are you going to get up? Are you going to? What are you going to do? Um, and I had sort of said, you know what? I'm just going to sleep. It's my day off. I need the rest. And like, what happens happens, and we'll we'll learn about it when we wake up. And sure enough, I woke up at like 7 a.m. and thought to myself, what are you thinking, you idiots? You know, um, either way this goes, you're going to want to be at least conscious for this moment. Because um, I knew that our show had a, had a really good chance of, of receiving some attention. And so I wanted to, to, to honor that. And so I got up and I, I actually took a walk <laughs> down to the, uh, to the nation's capital. I was standing on Capitol Hill, um, sort of like checking my phone, but it wasn't coming in. I was like sitting on a bench in the fog and there were like joggers going by. I, f I felt like I was in an episode of House of Cards, you know, I was like waiting for news. Um, and, uh, and finally my phone just started, you know, uh, blowing up and I knew that uh, something had, had gone well for us. And um, it was an exciting month and, and, and more, more importantly than being individually recognized was our show being recognized and, and uh, you know, I think across the board, we all felt like that was really where the where the accolades were most deserved was the show itself and the journey it took to get to Broadway. And I, I know I speak for 
for every one of um, of us individually saying that 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 was always the most important to us is that the show do well and and that it help um, that the Tony Award season helped bring more people to our to our box office, which it has. Uh, has who here has seen it? Okay, so you guys have questions. I'm sure. Putting on the spot, would anybody like to ask a question? I thought it was a super fun show, but can I ask one question about Mr. Pinkman about Love's Labor Lost, what it was like to do the Shakespeare in the Park? Sure. We saw that last year. It was fabulous. It was fun. Uh, just a, a general, what was it like? Or I'm sorry. What's it like to perform in the theater in Central Park with the helicopters going around? And <laughs> yeah, so explain a little bit of yeah, what so you're talking Yeah, so the about. question was about a, a production I did last summer in Central Park. Uh, for those of you who don't know, there's a great uh, uh, tradition in New York, um, Shakespeare in Central Park. Uh, Shakespeare in the Park, which is a free... Um, free Shakespeare offered uh, through um, through the public theater and the New York Shakespeare Festival. Um, and I was in a production last summer of Love's Labor's Lost, a musical. And uh, the question was about how, what is it like performing there? It's, uh, it's a trip, you know, um, because there are, there are planes flying overhead and, uh, you know, people going through the park and raccoons crawling under the stage and, you know, all sorts of uh, crazy environmental uh, factors. But at the same time, you know, uh, we would pinch ourselves every night when the sun would be setting, you know, just the sun would just be going down. We started the show and our show, our set was outdoors, you know, and the first thing we did was walk on stage and, and start singing this opening number sort of as the sun was setting. It's just a gorgeous, uh, uh, thing that you sort of can't get anywhere else in the middle of New York city, but also away from it. It's a great dichotomy there. Um, so I loved it. I had a really good time doing it and I, and, I wouldn't want to do a tragedy in Central Park. I think comedy is the way to go. <laughs> okay, so you were talking about how the, it's a very simple set in many respects, right? For the Gentleman's Guide. Yes. And there's the scenes where they're done, like climbing up the steps and all the other stuff, mm -hmm. where there's some slide projections on the back that yes. kind of give you the illusion of going up the steps and everything else that's going. Right. Where did that come, did that come up from initially? Or when did that come into the play? The projection? Yeah. Um, I think Darko, our director, had the idea of doing a projection on the back um, just to sort of help set the scenes instead of sort of flying things in and out, which I think was kind of genius. And it's wonderful because, you know, we're set in 1909, turn of the century, England, Edwardian. Um, and so it kind of brings an element of sort of modern technology to our very old-fashioned music hall-style set, which I think is clever. I think it was a risk, but I think it worked really beautifully. But it helps, you know, with the bees and everything, which were once ima just imagined. Now, it sort of had, it adds another um, sort of element to, to our set, which I think worked really beautifully. Yeah, and it's, it's subtle enough that it, it doesn't overpower you, I think. I, I, Lisa's point is, is well taken. It sort of sets the scene really well. And it adds additional things, but it's not doesn't feel like it's the main component of the set design. Of course. There's a follow-up. Follow-ups are welcome. Because what I was curious about was with the bees. <laughs> do, do you have to time your running to the bees? Oh, yes. Or, or the, the bees, <laughs> like computer-generated to follow you? No, no the, the, <laughs> the, the stage manager calls the bees cue on a particular word in the song, and I have to be coming on stage at exactly that moment for so it to So do you have to out. run at the same speed every night? You there, do are, there are two different speeds for the two different crosses. And Is everyone following? To, yeah. One of the death scenes, not to give anything away, but he dies a couple of times, and one of them is he dies by killer bees, and there's this 
projection of bees. Sorry. So he's got to run around the bees and yeah. they kill them, but they're not real. Yeah, we've, we've got uh, projected bees that, that chase me around the stage mm -hmm. and before they kill me. And it's quite fun. <laughs> Speaking to uh, you, the sets and, and all that stuff, take us through exactly what your process has been, Greg, in terms of joining the cast. So you have a put in rehearsal, and then is your first time on stage well, uh, tomorrow? Yes, tomorrow will be my first public performance. Um, is it your first? It's not like do you do you, do you rehearse or run the show at all on stage at the? Yes. What happens is when I first joined the company, which I picked a perfect timing to join this company. It was right when the Tonys were happening and it was all blowing up. So I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> and uh, I started with two weeks of rehearsal with uh, we have a wonderful um, um, understudy in the, for, for the male ensemble named Mark Ledbetter, who trained me in all of uh, Jefferson's movements and um, we had those two weeks of rehearsal at a separate location and then after that I started having every Friday uh, or every other Friday pretty much having run-throughs on stage but not with the uh, usually with a few members of the ensemble uh, working on other roles that they also cover in the show so no lights no costume so no tomorrow sound. is it tomorrow's it I've had <laughs> I've had two quick change rehearsals, mercifully. So uh, Yeah, those dressers yeah. backstage, really, they deserve... Oh, they are amazing. They should have gotten their own Tony, Tony because yeah. the work they do is, is meticulous and amazingly fast and incredible. Not to mention the costumes, which are designed that way, which is also amazing. So I always like to ask this question whenever I do panels like this. Oh, I'll get to your question. One second. Um, there's usually some very interesting folks that are outside the theater waiting for you to sign their playbill, plug for playbill. Um, do you have any like crazy stories or great stories that you've heard from like the audience reaction of you guys when you come out the stage door? Yes. <laughs> um, first of all, you're right. Uh, one of the best parts of being on Broadway is meeting people at the stage door um, because you know, you don't get to do that after after uh, seeing a movie or watching your favorite TV show. You come to Broadway, you get to meet the people if you stick around long enough. And, and it's fun for us, too, because we meet, uh, you know, a new audience every day. And uh, I love to hear from people where they came from. You know, a lot of people will say they came halfway around the world to see your show. And that's really that I find that very moving. Um, and the flip side is, yeah, the, the people ask you to do some crazy stuff, um, which I generally, I'm, I'm generally game for, um, you know, whether it's a happy birthday video for somebody or uh, I have signed like pictures of myself with that person. Oh, at like another show. Yeah, at another yeah. show. Like some people bring, this is a picture we took five years ago together. Will you sign it? And I'll be like, yeah, sure. Well, whatever you need, you know. Um, but the stage door is a fun place. I don't know. The newest thing, because it's 2014 and everyone has cell phones, is like the crazy face selfie. So like nobody wants just regular smiley pictures anymore. They all want like crazy faced selfies. So there is three million pictures of me doing ridiculous faces just floating around there in the internet and in the universe. But you have to oblige because, you know, what you, you can't say no really, can you? I mean, you could, actually. And I, I love... I could. <laughs> you could. I love hearing from people, you know, this is my first Broadway show. Um, and, and that, 
that's actually something here's a little, uh, here's a little bit of truth. When you do a show for a number of months, you know, part of the journey becomes how do you motivate yourself to do your best show every night? Um, because it is for us, it is the same thing every night. Um, and like much like the same thing. Well, no, not, not, not in our scenes. Um, (laughs) always new and fresh. Um, and one of the things I do to try and remind myself that it's an exciting night every night is that there are people out there who are seeing their first Broadway show every night. And that, that actually, that's actually really exciting to me Uh, apart from being in a show that I love to do. And that is so fun to perform. Um, that's one of the things I try and remember to, to, to get myself motivated to, to warm up and, and, and go out there and do the show for the, you know, 400th time or whatever we've done it. What was your first Broadway show? All of you. Uh, mine was Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. No, 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 not that you were in, oh, that, you ever, that you saw. That's a great question. Mine was Phantom. My first West End show was Phantom. Yeah, I'm trying to think what my first Broadway show was. I grew up in, I grew up in the Bay Area, so I saw like the Broadway tour of Les Mis, I think, was maybe my first experience. The first show I actually saw on Broadway was um, Take Me Out. Okay, yeah. I think mine was Damn Yankees. Damn Yankees. Yeah. With 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 who? With BB Newworth back in the nineties. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Mine Lisa. had to be fairly recently. Well, not recently, but like, I thought, God, that's really bad. I don't remember. But it was when I came to rehearse for My Fair Lady. I did a, a national tour of My Fair Lady, and I'm sure I must have seen shows when I was rehearsing. I want to say Hair. I think it was Hair. The revival of Hair. Yeah. That just yeah, awesome. I think it was Hair. Hi, I haven't seen the show yet. Um, Can you talk about the music in the show? Absolutely. Uh, The music in the show is part of one of the reasons um, that I love the show so much. Uh, As you'll hopefully hear a little bit of later um, this afternoon, it's uh, it has uh, influences that people name across the board, from Gilbert and Sullivan to Mozart. to what else? Sondheim. Yeah, it, it, it's sort of um, uh, more classic is the word I always uh, use because it reminds me of the way musical theater used to be written. It's less of a, um, you know, there's a lot of pop rock influences in, in modern uh, Broadway musical theater. And this, this show really feels like how they used to make them, you know? Um, and uh, I love it. And, and I love it for what it allows me to do uh, in terms of a s- the way I'm able to sing in the show is much more legit sound. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, uh, it's a small orchestra, but it's so well, um, so well mixed that you can hear every piece of the orchestra and, and, and the orchestrations are gorgeous. And so it really feels like, uh, I don't know, how they, how they used to make them is, is what I keep thinking. And it's really, really smartly written. So it's rare that you get hold of a musical that um, ideally when you're watching a musical, like for the likes of My Fair Lady, you know, those beautiful, just perfect musicals where you go seamlessly from a scene into a song and you barely even notice. And the music so beautifully complements what's happening in the story. And it's sort of rare that you get to, to... to be part of something like that and something new. Um, and the, the, the songs, you learn something about the characters in the songs. They're not just there to be a song. You know, it's, it's sort of a rare thing, I feel like. Yeah, I, I was always taught that um, 
a musical works best when that very thing happens, when there's sort of a seamless transition from words into song. And, and also a song takes place because nothing else could possibly happen there. And there, there, there are many moments in our show like that. Uh, one in particular I alluded to earlier is this moment where Monty um, is caught between the two women in his life. Um, one of uh, one of them shows up unannounced and the other is hiding in the bedroom. And so there's this song that takes place in between these doors and it's this sort of perfect example of, in my mind, when musical theater works the best. When the music, the characters, and the story all collide into this incredible moment that, that we love to do and, and gets a great response every night. And it's terrifying because there's a lot of patter in the songs. Uh, in, in all of the songs for all of us is a lot of what we call patter sections, which means it's very, very fast and wordy, almost rap-like. Um, yeah. yeah, Edwardian, <laughs> Edwardian rap. rap. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's sort of terrifying because it's like a runaway train and once you start those patter sections, you can't stop. There's no room for breath or you know, unexpected breath or missing a word. It's, it's sort of a terrifying, exhilarating thing. And it really demands the audience listen pretty closely. I mean, and, and you know, a, a lot of the rhymes and the, uh, even the words that are used are, are require, you know, require the audience members to lean forward in their seats and, 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 and listen. And I think that's, that's enjoyable. <laughs> For me and just, anyway. just FYI, that number he's talking about with the with the door with the two women is worth the price of admission alone. That one number, it's Agreed. amazing. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, speaking <laughs> speaking of patter and all of the, the craziness that happens in your show because it's running a mile a minute. Um, any, Greg, you might want to earmuff this, but are there any like? Was there any like crazy horror stories or any like? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> tell us that. Yes. Lisa's got a good one. I shouldn't one, then tell I've got this story because no, it's us. not Come something on. anyone should ever know. And I'm not <laughs> proud of it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. We're at the Apple um, store, you know? We're at the Apple store. Yeah. Nobody can Where all up. the dirt gets dished. Uh, this was in Hartford. Um, <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to tell this story. Do it. Okay. So we're in Hartford and I'm doing my patter section, which is in that door sequence that we are talking about. I am in the bedroom and he and Phoebe are in the parlor and I am singing about being stuck in the bedroom and trying to, he oh, trying to hear what is going on in the other room and who is in the other room because I haven't seen the other woman yet. Um, so I'm doing this patter section, which is probably my most difficult musical moment in the show for breath control, words, diction, everything. And I begin, uh, and it begins, what am I doing here? This could be dangerous. If I'm discovered, imagine the scandal. And I started on the second verse, which is terrifying. And I knew that I was gonna run out of words because I'd started in the wrong place. This is not professional. It's only happened one time, it will never happen again. <laughs> <laughs> I was very tired. And so I did inevitably run out of um, lyrics. And so I stopped. And, um, you know, at these moments on stage, just be aware that it's, it's, like, it's like a living nightmare. <laughs> your, your kneecaps shake. You feel like you're going to vomit. Your palms begin to sweat. And it's, it's pretty much the worst thing you could ever imagine. Um, so I just start sort of monologuing. Um, not even monologuing, just sort of, oh, oh, somebody's in the other room, I don't know what, oh, just making noise and breathing and kind of 
I don't even know. Bryce wasn't there at this moment, but uh, it was pretty horrendous. And I remember coming off stage and just not wanting to go back on because I was so mortified. And Jefferson Mays, bless his heart, comes up to me and he was like, that was remarkable. <laughs> and he, he then sort of replayed it for me. Um, and it was just one of those moments where, you know, it happens to the best of us. Like, you know, it's, we're human beings and we're out there every night and it's, you know, it's real and it's live and things happen and it's how you deal with those moments. And apparently that's what I do in moments like that. I just sort of do heavy breathing and panicked speaking. Yeah, Lisa's right. That the, the moment where you uh, lose a line or, or, or forget a word or something, it sort of feels like, for me, it feels like the universe just opens up and you can see sort of through to the other side. And uh, I had a similar experience in, an, in another song in the show where um, I started singing a part of the song that had already happened. Um, and so, oh, oh, yeah, what did I do? I Right, yeah, I put my hand on my eye. So I think it was... Um, were you this hoping song called to transport stop, wait, yourself what? out? Yeah, no, it was this stop, <laughs> wait, what um, is the name of the song. And stop, wait, what? And so I got to the third verse and I said, stop, wait, what? When I should have said, stop, wait, who? So I said, stop, wait, what? <laughs> and then I just put my hand over my eyes like this. <laughs> and then I jumped back into the song where, where, where it, where it, it had gotten to. But for me, this moment felt like a thousand years of just seeing the other side of distant galaxies. When in reality, in the song, it's, you know, three seconds or whatever that I was just standing there with my hand over my eyes. Um, <laughs> the, the other, only other um, fun, somewhat exciting story I'll share is we, we had a... Um, we had a very confused patron come into our theater from another theater um, that was not meant to be there. And so in the middle of one of the songs you'll see today, um, uh, we had to stop the show um, because there was somebody in the back who needed like some medical assistance. And so we all had to leave the stage. And, and I remember it was the one time that uh, Jefferson and I ever got a rest in the middle of the first act. And we, we, he and I, it was in the middle of winter and he and I went outside of the theater and in our costumes were just standing out there in the snow. And it was such a nice feeling to get a breath of fresh air. Um, and then uh, he was he was helped and uh, and we came back on stage and started the show again and had to start that number again from the complete uh, beginning. But, you know, it, it was also like a, a blessing in disguise because we got a nice little uh, refrigerator moment outside. What do you want these people who haven't seen the show to know about the show? What has it meant to you to be in this show? Just some good words of of love for the show. Who wants to stop? It's hard not to like this show. I think if you come, I'm pretty confident that you'll like it. Um, and I'm very proud of the show for what it represents, uh, all the things we talked about, the music, the, um, the ensemble nature of the show, the virtuosity involved in having one actor play eight different roles. Um, it's original. It's, um, it's new. It's, there are no movie stars in our cast yet. What? <laughs> Um, and uh, it's just hard not to like. I mean, it's it feels like the show you can tell people who come to New York and want to see a Broadway musical. It's just the perfect one to send them to, and uh, we hear that every day. Like, I had no idea what to expect, and I loved it. You know, and that's my that's my favorite thing to hear at the stage door. But yeah, you'll like it. <laughs> 
Um, for me, I, I think uh, the thing I love most about this show is how, how beautifully, authentically British it is. Um, and I know something about that because I am um, British. Um, but for me, for this, to, for, for this to be my Broadway debut and be this gorgeous Edwardian British musical that I feel like I've just always wanted to be part of something like this from the beginning to create this, these roles. You know, you're seeing this musical in its, in its first sort of, well, not its first incarnation, but, you know, this Broadway production is its, its original, you know, when this changes and we get new cast, it will be a completely different show. Um, and I'm just so proud of, of what, we've all, what we've all done. It's, it's, like I said earlier, it's so rare that you get your hands on uh, characters like these and, and writing like this and music like this. Um, and it's just, it's, it's thrilling for us to be in. Um, and, and everybody that we meet at Stage Door is just completely over the moon excited about it. So if you haven't already been, come immediately. And I'll just say that um, I see the show a lot uh, in preparation, obviously, and um, I never, ever tire of watching this show. The work that everyone does is incredible from night to night. The, everything from the design to the music to the acting to the, to the subtle character work, it's all from top to bottom, everything you would want in a show. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm always sitting out there, I know every word of the show, and I'm consistently moved, delighted, laughing, crying, just having a wonderful time. And by the, by the end of the show, no matter how many times I've seen it, I'm there cheering with the audience because it's, it's a remarkable accomplishment. And I guarantee that anyone that comes to the show will enjoy it. And just as a lay person who spends her evenings, most of her evenings, uh, seeing shows, I will say that, uh, especially in the fall and the spring, when just every show is introduced and, and us people in the press are in the theater probably like four or five nights a week, uh, this was definitely a really big bright spot for me. It's really funny. Um, what these guys do on stage is just, it's funny, it's, it sounds wonderful, it's a good respite, um, and it's, it's old school, but totally new and fresh, and it's really a delight to be able to see it, because I get to see a lot of stuff on Broadway, and this is definitely, definitely a good one to, to go see. So see it, if you can get a ticket, because they've been doing really well, um, and thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.